MSW Media. News was Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, October 6, 2020. Today, more administration officials test positive for coronavirus. Secret Service agents, former and current, speak out against Trump's joyride. The Russian agent that supplied Ron Johnson with the disinformation he used to investigate Hunter Biden has had his visa revoked. Trump is leaving Walter Reed today and tweets his most dangerous tweet. The Supreme Court will not hear the Kim Davis case, but Alito and Thomas write a terrifying response. And new polling is out regarding Trump's handling of his illness and the COVID epidemic. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Big show today. A lot happening in the news. I'll be going over in the A block for you. And later in the show, I'll be talking to Democratic candidate for state legislature in Arizona, Joanna Mendoza, for the Flip It Blue segment. And later, later in the show, I'll be speaking with co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres, about the SCOTUS decision not to hear the Kim Davis case and the subsequent response by Alito and Thomas that will chill you to your bones. It threatens uh, Obergefell and LGBTQ plus rights um, and some other things as well. And finally, I'll wrap it all up with the good news segment. We have some confessions, too. So if you have a good news story, political or personal or a confession or a correction, you can submit them at dailybeanspod.com by clicking on contact. We do have a lot to get to. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, here is what I think takes the lead today. This is reporting from The Washington Post. They say, quote, the State Department last month revoked the visa of a Ukrainian political fixer who aided President Trump's personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, in his gambit last year to dig up information from Ukraine that would damage former Vice President Joe Biden in the 2020 election. This is according to U.S. officials. Uh, The revocation of Ukrainian fixer Andriy Teleshenko's visa comes as U.S. officials crack down on Russian efforts to influence the November vote. The revocation, which hasn't previously been reported, even though it happened last month, came shortly before the Treasury Department sanctioned a different Ukrainian who was cooperating with Rudy. Uh, That's Andriy Durkach. We know about that. And they dubbed Durkach an active Russian agent for over a decade and said he was trying to interfere in the election. Uh, Teleshenko was unable to... uh, board a September 9th Ukrainian International Airlines flight from Kiev to New York. This is according to a person familiar with his travel plans and a Ukrainian government official who, like others interviewed, spoke on the condition of anonymity because of the matter's sensitivity. Teleshenko, accompanied by Giuliani during a trip to Kiev last year, which included a meeting with Durkach, that happened, uh, and they, you know, they went together, him, uh, Teleshenko and Giuliani. And Durkacz's visa was pulled by the State Department earlier this year. Both Ukrainians had been interacting regularly with Rudy as the former New York mayor sought to obtain information from Ukraine that would help Trump's electoral chances. And beginning in 2017, Teleshenko promoted the narrative that Ukraine interfered in the 2016 election. And then he was citing his experience at the Ukraine embassy, and he asserted that Ukrainian officials colluded with the Democratic Party to assist Hillary Clinton. That sounds an awful lot like the debunked Russian intelligence handed down by DNI Ratcliffe to Lindsey Graham, who introduced it in the Senate committee, Judiciary Committee, during the Comey hearing, um, that, that said Hillary had uh, colluded with the Russians to try to pin their hack on Trump. And Giuliani joined the president's allies in seizing upon Teloshenko's theory as a way to defend Trump in the midst of former special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation of Russian interference and contacts between the Russian government and Trump associates. Teloshenko first sparked U.S. officials' concern in early 2019 when he began promoting such pro-Russian narratives by sharing information with Republican lawmakers. Later that year, he began to discuss this with Giuliani. Teloshenko also became a flashpoint in Senate Republicans' probe of Biden and Ukraine this year. Democrats assailed Senators Ron Johnson from Wisconsin and Chuck Grassley from Iowa for taking information from Teloshenko in the course of their investigation, which culminated in a report released in September that you probably haven't even heard about because it landed with a total dud. Uh, Teloshenko told The Post, Washington Post, in September he cooperated extensively with Johnson's probe. Uh, This included handing over more than 100 emails, which were drawn mainly from Teloshenko's previous work at the Ukraine embassy. And this prompted Democrats to accuse uh, Ron Johnson of laundering foreign disinformation. 
And speaking of the bullshit debunked investigation into Hunter Biden, fueled by a bunch of Russian disinformation, Eric Trump was deposed today for hours as part of an investigation into whether the value of certain Trump organization assets were properly inflated in order or excuse me, improperly inflated in order to gain tax benefits. Um, Eric Trump had initially attempted to delay the deposition, and he pleaded the fifth back in August, citing a busy campaign schedule. But New York Supreme Court Judge Arthur uh, N. Goron ordered him to comply with the subpoena, stating he did not have the authority to push back the date and that the court had no reason to work around the election day. The assets in question include four properties. One is Seven Springs Estate, once owned by Washington Post publisher Eugene Meyer. The New York Attorney General's office began the investigation last March when President Trump's former fixer, Michael Cohen, said in his testimony to Congress that his ex-boss had regularly inflated the value of his assets. Um, I hope Biden brings this up in the next debate when he's asked about Hunter Biden. Just be like, yeah, well, Eric Trump was deposed recently for actual crimes. Oh, and uh, none of your kids can operate a charity in New York. So next question. Trump announced today that he's amazing and he has left Walter Reed. He uh, boarded uh, Marine One from Walter Reed, walked of his own cognizance and own volition to the, you know, to the (laughs) hermetically sealed SUV, the beast or whatever they call it, drove to Marine One. He got on. Then he landed at the White House, walked off Marine One, walked up the steps, took his mask off. Absolutely incredible. He also tweeted probably his most dangerous tweet to date, which says, I will be leaving the Great Walter Reed Medical Center today at 6.30 p.m. Feeling really good. Don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. We have developed under the Trump administration some really great drugs and knowledge. I feel better than I did 20 years ago. So this is a huge slap in the face to the 210,000 dead and their families, along with those who have recovered and now have pre-existing conditions that Trump is trying to demolish in court, the protections of those pre-existing conditions. And as far as don't let it dominate your life, and, and it's, it's all totally fine, don't be afraid of COVID, let's remember that when Trump tries to argue next year that he's not healthy enough for prison. And while we're at it, let's put Polly Walnuts back in jail where he belongs if COVID is no big deal. Uh, he has great knowledge now. Ugh, this is... He put out that video, I've been to school, the school of COVID. Uh, I've beaten it. Um, he is going to be insufferable now. He is going to say he is the only one who knows. That, that Kelly Leffler has even uh, tweeted out that, you know, Joe Biden can't possibly understand COVID since he hasn't had it. This is absolutely ridiculous. And, of course, it calls into question the validity of the entirety of his illness in the first place. And he says he feels better than 20 years ago. It's because he's pumped full of steroids. He's taken dexamethasone. That'll make anybody feel good. It probably is what prompted his joyride. That or he just can't sit still for, he can't be in quarantine for two days. If he's, you know, if if, if what uh, Noel Castor has said and alleged is correct, the dude's been railing lines of Adderall forever. Can't sit still in that hospital room. I wonder if he was given Adderall while he was there. And no one knows how sick he is or if he's actually sick. And Dr. Conley gave another vague press conference today when he said Trump would be leaving Walter Reed, but he also refused to answer when Trump last tested negative, saying, I want to look forward, not backward, which is the, the doctors don't say that. It's called a medical history, and it's also called contact tracing, so we know when he didn't have it last, so we can trace everyone who he's been in contact with from between his last negative test and now. And Conley invoked incorrectly the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, HIPAA, H-I-P-A-A. And he used that as an excuse not to reveal too many details about the president's health, including his lung scans. He also cautioned that Trump isn't out of the woods, so he probably shouldn't be released. Although Trump advisors are saying, multiple Trump advisors are saying that Trump was the one demanding release. I wonder if it was against medical advice. There's something to note about him not being out of the woods and being sent back to the White House. Um, let's look at the Herman Cain timeline, for example. On June 24th, he was at the Trump rally with no mask. July 2nd, which is eight days later, he tested positive. Eight days after that, he said he's improving. Five days after that, on July 15th, he says the doctors seem happy. 
And then 12 days after that, July 27th, he said he's getting really better. And then three days later, he died. So something to keep in mind. Secondly, we learned today that Kaylee McEnany and some of her staff have now tested positive. And since then, she's been in close contact with many from the press corps, putting their lives and their families' lives at risk. And now Trump says he will make the next debate, which is uh, scheduled for October 15th. It's a town hall style debate. And Dr. Conley wouldn't say whether or not Trump feels like he can travel for campaign events. He said, we'll see. Sound familiar? We'll see. And there are concerns from Trump advisors that he's leaving Walter Reed. They say they say he should stay, a lot of his advisors, and that the optics would be really, really bad if he had return if he had to return to the hospital from the White House if it, if his condition worsens. And now Secret Service agents, current and former, are chiming in on the joyride Trump took yesterday that put them and their driver of that SUV at risk. And there are other people who couldn't get uh, to the front of the hospital because his literal ego trip blocked the entrance. One former Secret Service agent asked, where are the adults? And another current agent said he's not even pretending to care now. This is from the Washington Post. They say, as the backlash grew, multiple aides who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe internal deliberations also called Trump's evening outing an unnecessary risk, but said it was not surprising. Trump had said he was bored in the hospital. Uh, he wanted to show strength after his chief of staff offered a grimmer assessment of his health than doctors. And that's according to uh, campaign and White House officials. And a growing number of Secret Service agents have been concerned about the president's seeming indifference to the health risks they face when traveling with him in public. And a few reacted with outrage to the trip, asking how Trump's desire to be seen outside the hospital suite justified the jeopardy to aid to the agents protecting him. Dana Bash just said on CNN that Secret Service agents are supposed to protect the president from a bullet, not protect themselves from the president. <laughs> and Trump's coronavirus diagnosis has already brought new scrutiny to his lax approach to social distancing, this is as public health officials scramble to trace those he may have exposed at large in-person events. And, of course, without that last time he tested negative, it's going to be impossible to trace that. Among critics was a doctor affiliated with Walter Reed. He said, quote, every single person in the vehicle during that completely unnecessary presidential drive-by just now has to be quarantined for 14 days. That's James P. Phillips. He's also a professor at George Washington University. Quote, they might get sick, they might, they may die for political theater, commanded by Trump to put their lives at risk for theater. This is insanity. And there's new polling out from CNN. Two-thirds of Americans say President Trump handled the risk of coronavirus infection to others around him irresponsibly. This uh, poll from CNN was conducted by SSRS in the days following the announcement that the president contracted the virus. Now, with Trump hospitalized at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center... Though he just left, 69% of Americans said they trust little of what they've heard from the White House about the president's health. 69%. It's more than two-thirds. Only 12% say they trust almost all of it. Disapproval of the president's handling of, of the COVID outbreak stands at a new high. 60% say they disapprove. Additionally, 63% say his own infection is unlikely to change anything about the way he handles the pandemic. Overall, Trump's approval rating stands at 40 percent to 50, 57 percent that disapprove. Disapproval is up from 53 percent uh, a month ago, from 53 to 57. About a third of people, 32 percent, say they're concerned about the government's ability to operate while Trump is ill, uh, with concern higher among Democrats. 48 percent are very or somewhat concerned. Then independents, 30 percent, or Republicans, 15 percent. Most, 62%, say Pence is qualified to handle the presidency, should that become necessary, while 35% think he is not. Um, the view that Trump acted irresponsibly regarding the risk of coronavirus to others around him cuts across most demographic lines. It's particularly strong among several groups whose support could be and is critical to Trump's reelection. Among women, 72% of women, all women, not just Republicans or Democrats, say Trump acted irresponsibly. That stands at 66% among those 65 and older, as well as independents. 66% of independents say he acted irresponsibly, and 65% among whites with college degrees. The president's supporters 
79%, and Republicans, 76%, are about the only groups among which a majority say Trump acted responsibly. It's just his core base. Distrust of information from the White House about the president's health also crosses demographic lines. Republicans, 65%, and Trump voters, 66%, are some of the only groups where the majority say they trust what they're hearing from the White House. There is agreement across party lines, though, that Trump's diagnosis will not change the way he handles the pandemic. Most Democrats, 70 percent, independents, 59 percent, and Republicans, 62 percent, agree on that. The uptick in disapproval of Trump's handling of the coronavirus comes more among women. From 63 percent disapprove. 63 percent disapprove. Now it's 69 percent disapprove. Women disapprove of Trump's handling of the coronavirus. Men. Uh, 48% last month say they disapprove. Now it's 51% now. And people of color. It's gone from 65% to 73%. And white people, it went from 52% to 53% disapprove of his handling of coronavirus. And it's increased among seniors. It's gone from 57% to 62% disapprove. And under age 35, from 59 to 67%. Most Americans interviewed after Trump's diagnosis said the remaining scheduled debates should be held. 59% say yes. 36% said no. Democrats were more inclined to say they should not be held, 49%. Independents, 39% say they shouldn't. And 17% of Republicans said they shouldn't. Now, this CNN poll, like I said, was conducted by SSRS October 1 through 4. The 1st through the 4th among a random national sample of over 1,200 adults Uh, reached on landlines or cell phones by a live interviewer. Results for the full sample have a margin margin of error of plus or minus 3.3 points. And for questions added October 2nd, it's plus or minus 4.2 points. So that's what's going on today. We'll be right back with Joanna Mendoza. She's running to flip a seat in the Arizona State Legislature. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. We can all use a little help from time to time when life gets stressful. And if you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your happiest life, I recommend BetterHelp. It's not a crisis line, and it's not self-help. It is actual professional licensed counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. As you know, I face my own challenges dealing with PTSD, and I know how important it is to seek help rather than try to face it alone. BetterHelp's services are available for clients worldwide. They have a broad range of expertise in their network, and a lot of which might not be available in your area. The best thing about BetterHelp is it doesn't matter because you can log into your account anytime and have, you know, remotely. And you can send a message to your counselor anytime as well. And you get timely and thoughtful responses. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions too. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So if you want to change your counselor, it's free and easy to do that. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling. Financial aid's available. So visit their website. Read their testimonials. Uh, Here's one from BetterHelp user T.O. who says, Carla is patient, attentive, and personable. She is so respectful but does not shy away from telling the truth. I appreciate how she remembers details because it helps me connect things and people in my story that I would miss. I've made a lot of progress with her help. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners, you get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time to flip it blue. I'm blue. And for today's Flip It Blue segment, I'm going to be talking to the Democratic candidate running for Arizona State Senate in Legislative District 11, Joanna Mendoza. Joanna, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Allison. I'm really excited to talk to you. I am a Zoni. I spent uh, most of my formative years in Arizona, went to Xavier College Prep, and your district is a beautiful uh, swath of land in the Sonoran Desert, very mysterious, very beautiful area. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about Legislative District 11 and some of the characteristics. Yeah. Um, so I actually grew up in the communities here. Uh, so born and raised in Pinal County, I consider myself a small town kid. Uh, the district is uh, is pretty large, actually, um, in the southern portion of Arizona, 
covers about a hundred mile stretch over two counties, portions of two counties. Um, and we do have a lot of uh, rural or unincorporated um, little little towns and communities in the district. And um, we have uh, probably up north in the northern part of the, the district in Maricopa City, uh, more like a populated um, a city, if you will. And then in the southern portion, uh, we have... Um, I like to call it um, more of a, a a lot of a lot of communities where folks retire. Uh, so um, it's a pretty large district, actually, and it's still pretty hot here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if I remember anything, I remember that, and I also remember that there are a lot of small farms in that area. I mean, the the Arizona State Seal has the five. Seas, right? Copper, cattle, citrus, cotton, and climate, if memory serves. And yep. there's a lot of that going on. And I think that uh, there's a lot of really important environmental issues in your district, particularly with those small farms and, and water access and, and things like that. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I grew up alongside my parents. My, both my parents were farm workers. So um, I spent many a summer working in the cotton fields alongside them. So I Yes, the farms are, are very um, uh, present here, <laughs> um, and water is an issue, and it continues to be an issue, not just for Arizona, but I think um, nationally and even globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you part of your platform here in the environment is is not just immediate action to avert water shortage crises, but also to invest in what makes absolutely the most sense in that part of Arizona, or any part of Arizona for that matter, is solar the solar industry. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to believe that Arizona is not like the solar and wind capital of of the nation, right? Um, we're so far behind when it comes to that. We have made slow progress, um, but I think that there's just so much work still to be done, and we can definitely do a lot more here within the next couple of years. I think it's going to be absolutely imperative that we do. We start addressing these issues, Um yeah, we've seen uh, with the fires, with the wildfires, right, all throughout California, all the way up to uh, the Canadian border, and even here in Arizona, um, and that's impacting folks' health. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of health care, uh, because that right now, every single candidate and all of the constituents I'm talking to across this great country mm-hmm. of ours are so concerned about health care right now, more specifically, not just about the pandemic, which is obviously something that we have to consider and, and, and take very seriously. And uh, but also that can cause that can be a pre-existing condition. And right now, Republicans are fighting to take that away and to take health care away from us. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what you um, what you're focusing on as far as health care is. is concerned with your constituents in in the 11th legislative district. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, I think that there has been a focus right now, um, especially during the pandemic, and it's really highlighted a lot of the gaps, which we already knew existed, um, but it's just really brought them to the front, right? Uh, So pre-COVID, my focus in terms of healthcare was about ensuring that folks in rural communities like those in District 11 had access to affordable health care. A lot of our communities lack um, community hospitals. Uh, folks have to drive, you know, 50 to 100 miles to get specialized care. And when I first moved back to Arizona with my son, I had a really difficult time finding a pediatrician. Um, so definitely having a focus on access, but also making sure that our vulnerable uh, populations, like our seniors and our children, have access uh, to that health care that we have specialized uh services, healthcare uh, services and professionals in, in our, in our communities. Mm. Yes. And I think that's so important. And you, you had mentioned your son, you are a working mom. And, and so uh, I also (laughs) wanted to talk to you about education because that, that can also be very access to education and broadband can be very difficult in these rural areas. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about what you want to bring to that. Yeah, I mean, um, in addition to all of the other things that the pandemic has highlighted, it's also highlighted how far we are behind in terms of technology and and the resources that we need to ensure that our children are getting educated. Uh, You know, the schools did shut down for a while um, and uh, school districts were struggling to to provide uh, computers and access to the technology like uh, you know, just basic internet Wi-Fi to students. I serve um, as a school board member in my small rural community. And, um, you know, out here, the internet, if you have it, you're lucky. 
um, but it's not always very reliable. And I always say that we here, especially in communities in District 11, live in this like almost this, um, there's this huge digital divide. It's, it's this um, technological desert out here um, because there really hasn't been a lot of focus when it comes to ensuring that rural communities have access to just basic internet services, which we know is impacting our kids um, severely where parents are trying to juggle working from home and trying to teach their kids from home. Um, and it's just unfortunate that it, it took a pandemic or a crisis to actually uh, bring these things to into awareness, which a lot of us who are working in, in either as school board members or in the education system, our educators, we already knew this, right? Uh, we already knew this was an issue. Yeah. And I think that that is also incredibly important, especially in the rural areas for telehealth to have that broadband access. Um, and you have a lot of retirees, as you said, um, in your district. I know my grandpa, a Navy veteran from World War II, uh, lived in Sun Lakes, I believe. And there, and I don't know if that's specifically in your district, but there are a lot of communities like that in your district. And I, I, I know. And I want you to talk a little bit about, you're a veteran, shipmate. We're both former Navy veterans. <laughs> yes, shipmate. <laughs> <laughs> we were in it the, in the same years because, you know, I graduated from uh, Xavier in 92, joined in 94. And then you went into the Marine Corps forever. And um, I guess you just didn't you wanted you didn't want to drive the boats anymore. Right. You just wanted to ride on them. OK, OK. Uh, but it's very important that the, the, the veterans in your community and I'm, I'm sure there are considerable amounts of veterans and military families there um, that they have access to stable jobs once they get out of the military and that they tr- are able to transition and that they have that access to telehealth and mental health and, and quality health care. Yeah. I mean, I will share with you that I struggled to get a job after military service. And I thought that, you know, I mean, I had my degree, I had 20 years of of leadership experience and and leading in a variety of positions and situations. And, you know, being in the military, uh, we take on a lot of challenges. Um, There's a lot of things that we do that you can't always really capture on paper. Um, And after retiring from the Marine Corps, and making my way back home to Arizona, I just, I struggled. I couldn't get a job and I was often told that I wasn't qualified. Um, and, and, you know, sadly for me, I wanted to continue a life of service. So I had applied for a lot of jobs working in, in government, in local government. And sadly I was told um, I wasn't qualified. And even at one point I was told that I should probably go drive trucks. Now I will tell you that is a respectable job. Um, but I did not drive trucks in the Marine Corps. Um, and I certainly didn't drive them in the, in the Navy. So that really highlighted just this perception. Like for me, it just really showed that there was just this lack of understanding of what, what like military service members do while in service. Right. And I don't know if you experienced that Allison, but for me, there was this almost like all you do is drive big, ugly trucks and shoot guns all day. I did experience that um, when I got out. Some of the best or better jobs while I was going to school that I could get were waiting tables, um, mm-hmm. and uh, which I loved. And I could, you know, sometimes dream about going back yeah. to for its simplicity. But <laughs> uh, and uh, working in hotel and restaurant management until I started applying. I, like you, wanted to go back to service. So I started applying for government jobs. And it took me six months to get a GS five clerk job at the Department of Veterans Affairs with a master's degree. So I totally know where you're coming from. Yeah. I mean, and if you think about it, for a lot of veterans, um, they they have families, right? And so now you add the stress of I need to get a job because I need to, you know, I need to put a roof over my family's head. I need to put food on the table. It is very stressful, which is why, you know, you you end up having a lot of veterans who just really have a hard time with the transition. Um, that's why, you know, taking care of our veterans and our military service members is on my platform. Um, I also had the honor and privilege of serving our communities as a veteran service representative for our congressmen here in our congressional district, which really just opened my eyes to um, just the lack of services in our rural communities for our veterans. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you put that on your platform. Uh, it's just so important, especially in 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 those communities and in in District 11, uh, Legislative District 11. Um, before I let you go, I you have here that you uh, one of something that's very important to you are ethics and accountability. And every single, I have spoken to so many Democratic candidates for Congress, state and national, uh, and 
senates, uh, you know, and legislative bodies and assemblies who are former yeah. veterans. And right now they felt like they had to get into this race because of just the absolute dearth, this lack of ethics and accountability that we as former service members and veterans hold in the mm-hmm. utmost. Uh, like that's the one of the most important things is, is, is ethics and accountability. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, we have this we're very mission oriented, right? But we also, for me, it was very important to continue a life of service and and have a purpose and a mission. And I can't think of a better mission than to take care of of the people in our communities to ensure that that folks have the basic needs um, and that they're treated with dignity and respect. And it's unfortunate that we've seen over the last couple of years really just this this uh, division. Uh, this tearing at our democracy. Um, and for folks who who have made that sacrifice, who have answered the call to serve, and some who have made the ultimate sacrifice to us, it is almost a slap in the face um, to see what is happening to our country and our nation. I mean, we are, you know, the greatest nation in the world. And to see what is happening is is heartbreaking. So I felt that I had to jump in in order to do my part to to protect that because you know I did it for 20 years in the military and it was important to do but also to demonstrate to my son how important it is to fight for what you believe in and I believe in our country I believe in what we stand for as Americans and I I have I will give my life for that ideal and um again I stepped in because I think it's important to have elected officials who have a service-oriented um, mentality um, to bring back some of these values that we stand for as Americans. Mm, absolutely. Ser- servant leadership as opposed to just this Republican yeah. sort of transactional, what's in it for me <laughs> situation. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, can you tell uh, my listeners how they can support you, where they can learn more about your platform and where they can volunteer and text bank and phone bank and write postcards or whatever they whatever we need to do for you. Thank you. Yes, we need everyone to help us in this fight to flip this district. Um, it doesn't matter if you live in Arizona or not, because every battle that we're fighting is one step closer to saving our democracy. Um, and we have all the information where folks can get involved. If you want to fuel our fight with a donation, we would appreciate that. Or if you want to just join the fight and help us virtually phone bank or write postcards, visit my website at www.mendozaforarizona.com. Awesome. And is that the number four or the word four? The number four. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Allison. It was great to chat with you today. And thank you for, uh, for what you do. Yes. And thank you for your service and thank you for your continued service. And we'll get out there and support you. Joanna Mendoza running for Arizona State Senate District 11. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be right back with the interview. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Plush Care. Now, more than ever, you shouldn't put off seeing a doctor when you're not feeling well. And I know that with everything that's going on, it can be difficult to put your health first, but it's so important. And that's why I use Plush Care. Plush Care provides primary and urgent health care through virtual appointments. And scheduling an appointment, even for the same day, is super easy. You just pick a slot, click it, book it online super fast. So I don't waste time on hold. I don't have to go to crowded waiting rooms. With my Plush Care membership, I can see my doctor from the comfort of my own home in my PJs. And with Plush Care, I can get diagnosed, treated, and even have a prescription sent to my local pharmacy if needed, all within minutes. And if I have any questions before or after my visit, I can send unlimited messages to my care team. And Plush Care accepts most major insurance carriers and is available in all 50 states. And with how difficult things are, if you're feeling anxious or depressed or stressed about what's going on in the world, Plush Care doctors are there to help by discussing treatment options and providing prescriptions as needed. I can tell you personally, my Plush Care experience has been a breeze. Signing up was super easy. It only takes a minute, and it's just as easy to schedule an appointment. The entire process has been so convenient. I was immediately comfortable with my with my doctor because all Plush Care doctors graduated from one of the top 50 medical schools in the U.S., and they're all highly rated by their patients. So I get peace of mind that I'm getting quality health care. Plush Care makes it easy for me to get excellent care when I need it. And uh, with Plush Care, I don't put off seeing a doctor, and neither should you. No more excuses. So make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash dailybeans. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash dailybeans. Again, plushcare.com slash dailybeans. 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today for the interview to talk about something that the Supreme Court decided today or decided not to decide today is Real Life Lawyer and co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres. Andrew, welcome back. Uh, thanks for having me, AG. And that is exactly right. The, the Supreme Court decided not to do a thing. And that's news, even, you know, as we're all dying of the plague. <laughs> I know. This is just such a bizarre news cycle. I'm surprised that this even got through. Um, but uh, and by the way, it was recommended to me by several people that I call you up immediately to talk about this. And not only this, <laughs> but people love it when we talk. Uh, but also the the ensuing uh, Alito Thomas rant against Obergefell. So first of all, can you t- first of all, Kim Davis is the lady who refused to issue uh, same-sex marriage licenses, and then that's went up to the Supreme Court. So can you tell us what they decided today about the Kim Davis case? Yeah. So let me give you a little bit of background about the case. I, I think all of your listeners are aware of Kentucky bigot Kim Davis, who in the wake of Obergefell uh, decided as the county clerk for Rowan County, Kentucky, decided that she just wasn't going to issue any marriage license. At first she said, I'm just not going to sign same-sex marriage licenses. And then her boss was like, uh, you do know that's your job, right, Kim? And then Kim was like, well, I'm just not going to sign any marriage licenses. And um, that's stupid and against the law. And um, as a result of that, Kim Davis subsequently challenged her initial removal <laughs> as clerk on the grounds that she was not doing her job on the grounds that she has a deeply held religious belief to not do her job. And while that should be a slam dunk and as of right now is still a slam dunk of no, um, you, you can't do that, Kim. Uh, it, it, wound its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. So here's what happens. Uh, lower court uh, and the in Kentucky and the Sixth Circuit both affirmed, uh, n- no, Kim, you do not have a special religious exemption that allows you to not issue marriage licenses when your job is issuing marriage licenses, particularly in light of the Supreme Court's decision in Obergefell. And Kim Davis, who is represented by Matt Staver of the Liberty Council, who is like on the short list for dumbest lawyers in America, right? Like it's <laughs> it is tough to dethrone Jay Sekulow. Did he go to the Sidney Powell School of Law or he he went to the like just making stuff up school of law? I, I, I will tell you this. I know we don't have enough time to, to, to get into it. The major decision cited in Kim Davis's cert petition is a 1978 case that you have never heard of called Zablocki versus Red Hale, in which the Supreme Court said that laws prohibiting you from getting a marriage license if you had out, if you owed outstanding child support were unconstitutional. So, so if you it, that should give you some idea of the like crazy patchwork quilt of nonsense arguments uh, <laughs> that Matt Staver was was trying to advance before the Supreme Court. And so 9-0, the Supreme Court said, get the fuck out of here, Matt Staver, right? Like these arguments are ridiculous and we're embarrassed on your behalf that you have put them in writing <laughs> and filed them with the Supreme Court of the United States of America. But that's not good enough for Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, who, again, I cannot stress this highly enough, agreed that the court should not take up this case because this case is a slam dunk, uh, decided to use three pages to articulate just how big, three and a half pages, to, to articulate just how big of bigots they are. And uh, it hits on two things that I have been flagging since the Kavanaugh appointment that are, you know, that have gone from probable in a 5-4 court uh, to absolutely certain in a 6-3 court. The the first is this court's open hostility to the concept of same-sex marriage. And the reason that I've been flagging that since Kavanaugh is y- you don't need Amy Coney Barrett for that. I-, I-, I keep trying to tell everybody who will listen to me that Justice Roberts' dissent in Obergefell is, uh, and and as somebody who is, you know, 
somewhat intemperate as a lawyer. I, I like John Roberts is right milk toast, right? Jo- John Roberts is white bread with no butter. And I have never seen him, I have never read a Roberts opinion that would cause you to raise an eyebrow one way or the other in terms of the quality of the language. Here's what he said in Obergefell. He said, quote, the majority's decision is an act of will, not legal judgment. The right it announces has no basis in the Constitution or this court's precedent. The majority expressly disclaims judicial caution and omits even a pretense of humility. Then I'm going to skip a bunch of stuff. The court invalidates the, ma- the marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis of human society yeah. for millennia from the Kalahari Bushmen <laughs> and the Han Chinese, the Carthaginians and the Aztecs. What? Just who do we think we are wait wait now, wait 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 this is in this is in the alito thomas descent no no this roberts descent for obergefell. obergefell oh my god and yeah so when when alito and thomas dissent today and I, you know i'm sure you have already read some of the garbage in this opinion that's who this is pitched at. This is pitched at John Roberts, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, our, you know, the the the, the person that the press loves to laud as the emerging centrist. No longer, by the way, the swing vote on the court. That's now going to be Neil Gorsuch. That's delightful. But um, Right, yeah, when, when yeah, Gorsuch is, is your swing vote. Ooh. He's, yeah. That's where we're looking at. So this is a plea for a 6-3 reversal of Obergefell as quickly as possible. So, what? yeah, I mean, what what did Alito and Thomas say? They say, yeah, we agree. You shouldn't take up Kim Davis's case because even we think she's a crazy person. But somebody should send us, wink, wink, a case in which we can reconsider Obergefell. And uh, that, you know, they're not whispering it. They're shouting. So this is just a... a a poke at Papa Bear Roberts to be like, we're going to probably be hearing some of these cases pretty soon challenging Obergefell. Uh, and uh, here's how we should, here's how we should rule. And, and you, Chief Justice John Roberts, explicitly said that Obergefell was not a valid exercise of the judicial power, is not binding, and thus does not form You don't precedent. think he'll pull a Lindsey Graham here and be like, use my words against me. <laughs> I, I have, it, in in a in a court with Barron on it, I I I have no idea what what John Roberts is going to do, right? Like it, it it there is a there is some chance that that John Roberts will be mortified by the fact that what is about to become the darkest period in American Supreme Court jurisprudence is going to bear his name, and there is some possibility that he just gives up, right? Look, like we saw Anthony Kennedy do that, right? Like, I don't, I don't think Anthony Kennedy understood the implications of stepping down in favor of Brett Kavanaugh. I think he was just sick of being the guy who decided every single case. He was a fundamentally conservative guy. We saw that in his 2017 opinions versus his 2016 opinions. Um, and and I don't know at what point John Roberts is going to say, hey, hey, guys, I I tried to hold this thing together with, you know, duct tape and bailing twine, but uh, uh, I I give up. <laughs> like, you know, that the howler monkeys are loose inside the courtroom. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just going to chill over here in my chair now either that or kennedy stepped down for other reasons but (laughs) you know (laughs) but uh but but but, you know to be fair uh roberts is in a very uh precarious spot heading into a 6-3 conservative court yeah I mean, what, why why is he going to stick his neck out on the line for an outcome he doesn't want to preserve an institutional legacy that's gone? I wouldn't. And if Trump wins this election and he's not incapacitated or dies, I would definitely be the fuck out of there because I wouldn't want to preside over another impeachment. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's just it's there's a lot there's a lot bad. I mean, I don't know if you've read uh, prior to the interview of the naked bigotry in this concurrence um i I could share some of that if you want could you share a little (laughs) bit of that with us oh sure 
Obergefell, this is page three. Obergefell enables courts and governments to brand religious adherents who believe that marriage is between one man and one woman as bigots, making their religious liberty concerns that much easier to dismiss. And then there's a, a whole bunch God, of stuff. Just, like, just substitute I, that I, with interracial marriage. Yeah, make it black. Yeah, it, it is the, the idea that we have moved, and look, we saw this percolating on the extreme religious right for a decade. But the the fact that we now have, in writing in a dissent at the Supreme Court, the position of Liberty University of, hey, when you call us bigots, bigots, that makes us <laughs> sad. Like that's that's fucking insane. Oh yeah, did 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 the fuck your feelings brigade get their feelings fucked? Oh. Yeah, that that is the entirety. Let's be let's be super clear about that. That is the entirety of the post masterpiece cake shop jurisprudence on First Amendment rights uh, of of religious expression in this country right now. Right, that is, we think. We will overturn laws if they fail to show, quote, due consideration, end quote, for your religious beliefs. And if you ask what due consideration means, the answer is go fuck yourself. It is not present in the statutory. It's not present in the Constitution. It's not present in any statute. It's not present in RIFRA. It's not it's not present in any case in Supreme Court history prior to 2017, it was invented out of whole cloth. And uh, and we know now what Thomas thinks it means. It means if you call a bigot a bigot, you've now shown insufficient consideration for their deeply held religious beliefs. Um, one more thing. There is a footnote. It's, a, it's an asterisk footnote rather than a traditional footnote uh, that says um, – under the court's precedence, the, the free exercise does not relieve an individual the obligation to comply with valid neutral laws of general applicability. That is citing to Scalia's opinion in Employment Division versus Smith uh, and is another shot uh, in the footnotes that says, hey, uh, we want this court to reconsider Employment Division versus Smith. And if you ask, how could they do that? The answer is a case that the Supreme Court is going to hear the day after the election, Wednesday morning. It is a case called Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And in it, the plaintiffs explicitly ask the court to overrule Employment Division versus Smith. Let me explain what that would mean. That would mean federalizing RIFRA as a constitutional right under the First Amendment's free exercise clause. So... That's what's coming down the pike the day after the election. And that, by the way, uh, that was happening no matter what, uh, but uh, it could be seven to two. It, it, it's it's real. But like if if you are not a right wing Christian in America, like the, the judiciary is about to be real bad for you for a real long time. Yeah. And uh, people seem to be maybe hanging their hopes, including Chuck Schumer, on a delay in the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett uh, because of COVID and the COVID outbreak in the Capitol. But um, that delays 14 days at best. Uh, and, 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 and look, that delay will not delay the final vote. Everything prior to that is procedural, are hearings, right? And Absolutely. Mitch McConnell can use Robert's rules of order, can use appeal to the decision of the chair to, quote, clarify now, you know, never minding that the Republicans were up in arms when the House of Representatives authorized proxy voting back in March. They sued over it. They, they lost. But they sued to enjoin the House of Representatives from engaging in proxy voting. Uh, I am 100 percent confident that any of the following will happen. Number one, Mitch McConnell will reinterpret the Senate rules such that uh, Zoom hearings for judicial nomination are perfectly fine. Number two, if existing Republican senators are still in quarantine such that they do not have the vote, that all of a sudden proxy voting will be okay in the Senate. And number three, even if it isn't, then all of a sudden you're going to have Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski the day after the election back out of their commitment and say, well, I'm not, this is, I'm still voting no, but I'm trading my vote to vote for Mike Lee, who can't be here, blah, blah, blah. There is all of the, we're going to stop this procedurally, uh, in in my view, is is wishful thinking, except for this scenario. And, and, and 
I, I want to emphasize, I still think that this is unlikely, but but I am persuaded that if Joe Biden wins in a landslide and the Democrats retake the Senate clean, I mean, again, all you need is 50, but if they cleanly retake the Senate, which is starting to look like it's possible with the performance of people like Jamie Harrison in South Carolina, who you know were not on anyone's radar uh, six months ago. If that happens, I could imagine a Joe Biden pulling aside Mitch McConnell and going, hey, if you push Barrett through right now, we will we've got the votes. We will blow up the filibuster. We will pack the court. If you hold off, we won't. Um, now, how you weigh that uh, is up to you. But but in my view, that is still a long shot scenario because I think Mitch McConnell will always take the burden of hand. Uh, but if you want to be to bring maximum leverage against Mitch McConnell with respect to Amy Coney Barrett, in my view, the only thing you can do is sweep in Biden in a landslide and bring in a Democratic Senate. Yeah. And, and then threaten. Yep. And hopefully, um, but uh, you know, that's if the Coney Barrett nomination and rule changes don't happen before the election. Yeah, uh, that that all could that all could happen. By the way, I would also lie if I were Joe Biden, right? Oh, <laughs> I would. I would, do, I would do a back. I would do a, ba- a back room deal. I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. I promise, one hundred percent pinky swear on your mother's grave that uh, we we will not blow up the filibuster and add six new Supreme Court seats, and then uh, blow it January. up, and then blow it and up, then and then blow absolutely, yeah. yeah, good. That's everything Mitch McConnell deserves, and then some. Yep, put that sandwich right back in your mouth, Turtle Dick. All <laughs> right, it has been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for clarifying all of these issues. It's been hard to dig the news. Uh, out of uh, this White House coronavirus <laughs> graveyard <laughs> that is the media right now. But uh, this is a very important not uh, I mean, it's a great decision uh, to not hear this at the Supreme Court. But but the the ensuing opinions and asterisks and all that are so, so very important to the future of this court and the country. So I appreciate you talking to me today. Everybody check out the Opening Arguments podcast. Andrew Torres, real life lawyer and actual friend of mine. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you so much. All right, everybody, stick around. We'll be back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. If you're looking for fresh dinners that taste great and are good for you and take zero effort, Sunbasket delivers fresh and ready meals that are fast, fresh, and delicious. They heat up in just minutes. Enjoy incredibly tasty, nutritious meals while avoiding crowded grocery stores. That's the best part. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, too, including paleo, gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. They make it easy and incredibly convenient because everything is pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, and you don't have to be a good cook, which is great because I'm terrible. (laughs) But these are so easy and incredibly fast and delicious. And each week they offer a wide range of recipes to choose from at Sunbasket. So you can try dishes like mushu pork bowls with hoisan sauce or sole and parchment with zucchini salad and roasted almonds. It's so good. Or my favorite, Spanish pisto con huevos with tomatoes, eggplant, and garlic bread. It's so good. Um, you can order from any recipes across their menu, skip a week if you want to, snooze it, or double up on your favorite ones. And Sunbasket facilities have the highest level of food and employee safety. They reinforce their strict adherence to operating procedures, and they've increased sanitization frequency in their distribution centers to protect you and your family and their employees. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. Again, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news is on the way. All right, we have so many good news submissions today. We got a couple of confessions, too. I didn't see any corrections, but that doesn't mean they're not there. So that would actually probably be the first correction, uh, if they are. Now, if you want to submit some good news stories, personal or political, or you want to submit a quarantine confession, uh, this is a really good way to submit your pod pet photos, by the way, because we put them up uh, in the newsletter. All the photos that that I that you'll hear me gushing over today will be in the newsletter. It comes out on Mondays in the Patreon feed. Uh, and the Supercast feed as well. Supercast is our new Patreon-type situation. It gives you all the same benefits. It's just a different platform in case you 
would rather not use Patreon for whatever reason. And that's um, so you can check out Supercast. We're there. Anyway, uh, go to dailybeanspod.com and click contact. And that's how you submit everything. And you can even just say hi uh, there if you want to. And our DMs are always open, but not for good news stories. If you send the good news stories to the DM, we might to the DMs on Twitter. We probably won't get to it. So definitely use the website for that. And the first up, good news story from Anne. Uh, pronouns she and her. Hello, Beans Squad. You all amaze and inspire me. And I include all the smart, funny, patriotic, passionate, kind listeners in that squad as well. Like all of you, I can't imagine another four years of this corrupt, hate-filled administration. I have come out of my comfort zone and volunteered to make calls for Joe Biden and Mark Kelly. I dedicate two hours every damned day to this. For whatever reason, some days are easier than others. Some days are downright hard. A few days ago, I was boohooing to my husband that I didn't want to do it. Kind of like a whiny kid who doesn't want to go to the, do their homework. But I went back in my room, sat down, signed in. Just then, my husband came in with my granddaughter's Wonder Woman cape. He put it on my shoulders and said, Just remember, your superpower is saving democracy. We had a good laugh, and I proceeded to more joyfully make the calls. Somehow, I did feel more powerful. I keep that silly cape handy every day now. So, my advice to everyone, cape up. <laughs> There's work to be done. Let's get this part let's get this part over and move on to the fun part, creating the America we want to live in. Close your eyes and imagine that for a minute. Nice, huh? And that's amazing. Two hours every day. I, I'm assuming you're in Arizona. That's incredible. Um, thank you for doing that for Mark Kelly as well. That is a totally flippable seat. I hear he's pretty far ahead. Martha McSally's already lost once. She's only there because she was appointed um to fill McCain's seat. So get her the F out of there. Get her the fuck out of there. Why am I saying F? This is my show. Uh, next up from Julie, pronouns she and her. Hello, warrior of justice. I am jumping for joy right now. I have been a prolific text banker for months now, and I most recently was working text banking in Georgia, encouraging voters to be sure they are registered, know where their polling place location is, and to have a solid plan to vote. I had a response from a voter with multiple exchanges. The young man is in his early 20s, in the military, raised Republican, and even admitted that he had a Confederate flag as decor in his apartment until a few months ago. He voted for Trump in 2016. We had a lot of back and forth on the subject of Trump and his feelings for the direction of the country. At the end of the exchange, he had committed to voting for Biden. I know this is just one small drop in the pond, but I was elated. Your podcast has given me the courage to persevere through these times and become educated on so many issues. I'm so happy to be able to continue to spread the information. Thank you. Thank you. I'm off to finish my text banking now. Julie, that's incredible. Thank you so much. What a great story. He took his Confederate flag down a couple of months ago. That's that's intense. Oh, mm, that's just that's such good news. I'm so happy. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, next up, we have a confession from anonymous pronoun she and her. Confession, I went almost eight months without maintaining my eyebrows. I'm pale and my hair is brown, so it's noticeable. I do, however, wear glasses and work from home since mid mid-March, so I haven't needed to. I finally went and got them threaded today, and holy cow, do I feel better. Mm, I know exactly what you're saying. So awesome. I mean, I don't do anything to my brows, but other stuff. Anyway. Excellent. I, I, it does feel so much better, doesn't it, to just do something from the before times, even if no matter how small it is. Anyway, awesome. Next up from Shar, pronouns she and her. Shar says, my grandparents live in assisted living in, in Wisconsin in a facility that has had COVID cases. I'm so worried about them and upset with our country and their state for putting them in danger. I just called my grandma, though, and the first thing she asked was whether I've been watching the news about Trump with his motorcade. How horrible she thinks he is. And how she doesn't understand how anyone could support him. Uh, I asked if they voted yet, and she says, oh yeah, a long time ago. To make sure everything went through, I checked Wisconsin's voter website and first noticed that there was an issue with her ballot, but I called her again, and it's already taken care of. Mm. And saw that she, had my that she and my grandpa had voted in every election for the past 10 years. I'm not in a swing state, but at least I can count on my Wisconsin family to get their votes in. Char, that's amazing. The last, every election in the last 10 years. Hell yeah. I love it. Love to hear it. Next up, Leanne, pronouns she and her. AG, I'm a new patron and listener to your podcast. You have no idea how well a well-placed fuck can make a story resonate. Halloween is my favorite holiday. Mine too. I also really love Christmas, though. Uh, anyway, as our first lady says, who gives a fuck about Christmas? I'm kidding. Christmas is fine, but Halloween is my shit. Last year, I spent a month making a life-size Beetlejuice tombstone for my Beetlejuice-themed Halloween display. It was, I was featured on the local news and had almost 200 trick-or-treaters. Hell yes, dude. I love Beetlejuice. Tim Burton, Danny Elfman, chef's kiss. 
In addition to being my neighborhood's queen of Halloween, I am also a night shift pharmacist at a 350-bed hospital that houses the largest burn center in the county. I did my post-PharmD pharmacy residency at the VA in Salisbury, North Carolina, so shout out to all the awesome VA employees. Oh, I used to work there. I gotta be honest, up until a few days ago, I wasn't really feeling Halloween this year. I'm tired as fuck from work. I'm disappointed and frustrated by how much distrust our president has sown in my profession. I'm devastated that some of my family members have succumbed to this QAnon bullshit. Oh, no. And I'm devastated that so many people I know in real life are questioning solid science. I'm just tired. Anyway, a few days ago, I got a call from the reporter who interviewed me last year, super pumped about what I was doing for Halloween this year. This was a good reminder of how much joy people got from my ridiculous yard shenanigans last year, and it re-energized me. I now have some new ideas, and even an idea for a socially distanced candy delivery that I can incorporate into my theme. Even though this year sucks, Halloween seems to be particularly relevant. Yes, we all get scared. We all face our fears. Uh, But we will be okay, and we'll be stronger on the other side. And we'll learn that we can beat the scary old monster if we brave enough to take back, take, if we brave, if we are brave enough to take the mask off and reveal the truth underneath. I'm also going to attach a picture of my pups because they're cute as fuck. Ripley is the white German shepherd, Baxter is the long-legged chihuahua, and Pee-wee is the super mutt. Oh, you got a Pee-wee. You have another uh, Tim Burton reference. Sweet. Um, Yeah, and also Halloween, wear masks. Hey, pretty sweet. Very convenient. Somebody in my uh, neighborhood rigged up a pulley system to deliver candy and cans of beer to the parents. Thought that was pretty great. And the photos. Oh, the chihuahua. <gasps> White German Shepherd. Long-legged chihuahua. What happened to that chihuahua? Why are his legs so long? He looks like one of those at-ats from, is that what they're called, from Star Wars? Oh, my God. You guys have to see these dogs. And we will share the links. Uh, to the time lapse of you creating the tombstone in the newsletter. There's a time lapse of her making the Beetlejuice tombstone. So we'll include that and the doggos. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, uh, Leanne, for for writing in. I appreciate it. What do we have next here? From Helen, pronouns she and her. After months of being blasé about my knitting, quarantine blues, I finally kicked myself in the ass to get a baby gift finished for a friend of mine. The baby is five months old at this point, but no matter. The gift is knitted a knitted blanket done in a pattern that I love doing. Uh, it's in the final stretch, last two stripes, and I love how squishy it is and how nicely the yarn I'm using knitted up. Thank you for all you do. You're helping keep me sane. And then there's a picture of the blanket. Oh, I like that pattern. Ooh, that is so cool. Oh, and I love your little candy skulls on the thing. We'll send this picture out, too. Oh, and there's a really nice quilt in the background. Did you make the quilt, too? So many crafts. I love it. Ooh, a correction. Next up is a correction. Uh Uh-oh. Pronouns he and him. Just going to pile on this snuggle problem and do some more snuggle math. (laughs) Uh, The formula for calculating anonymous's snuggling combinations is C times NR, where R is the number of snugglers from N potential snuggling options. The formula used, um, the factorial you mentioned, then divides it by another couple of factorials using N and R. Anyway, for two snugglers from a group of 28, where the formula is C, 28, 2, C times 28, comma 2, there are 378 snuggling possibilities. To work out the total number of snuggles up to one giant 28-member snuggle pile, you need to add C, 28, 2, plus C, 28, 3, 28, 4, etc., and so on. If there's a shorter formula, it's beyond my math. You and your show remain bright lights in the current darkness. Much love to you and everyone who helps brings us helps bring us the show. And just because I know how much the Luminati appreciate it, here's a photo of my dog looking tired after a walk and my cat looking grumpy after a bath. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> I love how people are just... The Confessions and Good News doesn't have anything to do with their pets. They're just attaching pet photos to, to whatever you submit. And I am 100% behind that, by the way. So thank you. Next up, another confession. Anonymous, pronouns she and her. I confess that I want Trump to recover from COVID, but it's not for compassionate reasons. It's so he can lose the election, be convicted of his crimes, and go to prison for life. I want to see the perp walk. Is that so very wrong? As penance for these non-compassionate thoughts, I promise to triple the level of my donations to Democratic candidates. Ooh, awesome. And no, that's not wrong. That's why I want him to pull through as well. 
that I don't care if it makes me a bad person, but I he needs to get better. And he he walked to the White House today, took his mask off like an asshole, but he got out of Marine One, walked back up to the White House today. So seems all right. Says he's going to go to the debates. I mean, I went over the Herman Cain timeline earlier, which is you know we don't know. He's not out of the woods yet. He shouldn't be out of the hospital yet, but whatever. I really want him to lose November 3rd. And in order to get that done, you know that we all have to vote in massive, massive numbers. Numbers too big to manipulate. It has to be a landslide so that it can't be contested in the courts. So just do everything you can. I know you all are. You, 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 All of you are just so amazing and so active in this campaign, and I, I appreciate it so much. If you want to make a donation to Joe and Kamala, who are going to need a ton of lawyers and a ton of cash and you can do that. I have a pinned tweet on my personal Twitter account, at Allison Gill, two L's and Allison, two L's and Gill. And that video of me with the little space buns talking about the VA and how I don't work there anymore so I can ask for money now, uh, click on the link in there. That is a specially designed link for Beans listeners. Um, and there's a couple of other podcasts we're working with, too, I think. But that is from John Bain, who is a, a chair of the campaign finance committee, I believe, for, for Biden and Harris. And that's why it says John Bain when you click on it, um, when you donate. And you can fill in any amount that you want, even if it's a dollar. Um, so use that link because it sort of tracks how well we're doing as as a community, as, as uh, leguminati. We're well over six figures, by the way. So awesome job. And uh, that's the best place to, to make a donation is using that link. Uh, we do not have specific links for any Senate races or the DCCC or the DNC or for any House races. Just, you know, give to Act Blue or whatever you usually do for that. So, everyone, thank you so much. We will be back tomorrow. Try to get some sleep. Uh, I know it's hard these days. Um, so definitely, you know, seriously, take care of your mental health and take care of yourselves and each other and the planet. So till tomorrow, I've been AG and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.